Hello, welcome and kumusta. My name is Hao and I am your occupational therapist and welcome to my podcast entitled OT Conversations. This is a podcast about occupational therapy and any other topics relating to the field be it medical foundations or philosophical foundations, some of my personal and professional opinions and point of view. I am hoping that through this podcast, I'll be able to help out occupational therapy students and clinicians to navigate their way through their clinical practice involving occupational therapy. In this episode, I'd like to talk to you about my perspective regarding joint working. Yes, you heard me right. Joint working is a common practice that I have heard in the United Kingdom that everybody wanted to do some joint working, particularly for some of the occupational therapists. I have some concerns about joint working and I have my personal Uh, opinion regarding the matter. Whether I am in favor of joint working or not, well, my position is I am not in favor of joint working most of the time. There will be occasions where I find it to be very effective and useful, particularly if the patient is complicated in in a sense that you want an occupational therapist to be working alongside another members of the MDT member so that you can validate or you can be reliable in seeing the things that you are observing. Um, you know, and, if, and that's very, very rare. You know, when you don't have, when you don't know what's really happening and there are some situations where you're really not very sure about and as a clinician you have some opinions about things and you have some suspicions and it's just helpful to have another reliable member of the MDT to be looking at the situation as well so that you can compare and confirm within one another that you are seeing the same things, particularly in uh, neurological symptoms. Now, I have observed that uh, younger or starting clinicians like joint working, and I think it's banking on the insecurities and confidence about their clinical decision-making, about their clinical skills. And, uh, and that's the thing that needed to be resolved. I find that if I do some joint working, it's, it's slowing me down even more. So that's why I'm not so much in favor of that. If I'm doing some joint working, some of the, the argument and the challenge is that it just duplicates the session. So you're doing joint working for what? That was the first question. Why do you want to do a joint working? What is the session about? And if the session is about doing functional mobility retraining, then you're just having two pair of hands 
And if you're doing the session with a physiotherapist, and the physio would record it, and that counts up to their session. Now, as an occupational therapist, does that mean you did the same thing again? So you've just duplicated the job, isn't it, when you do a joint working with a functional mobility retraining? So sometimes I see and I observe some rehab assistants doing mobility, and then here comes the OT doing the same thing, not measuring anything that is anything different, really. But, you know, OT's doing that, following with the wheelchair, for example, or holding the monitor, and it's, uh, it's not very efficient, it's not very helpful. So that's one way of doing that. And people will be asking the same questions twice, when they're doing that and the person is really bombarded with lots of, of, of questions coming from one therapist to another. Uh, how come when an OT has to do a washing and dressing practice, the physios are not doing a joint working on that side? So you see, you know, it becomes one-sided and I really seriously think that it is because we are uh banking or 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 the clinicians are a little bit lacking in terms of their clinical skills and in terms of their confidence particularly with moving and handling so i don't want to sound like i'm an assistant and i really am not an, an assistant as well so if there are some people who needed to do some sessions for example and the physios are doing, I want to know what they're doing. They're still doing their functional mobility retraining. They're sitting them. There's, and if they're sitting them and it's taking about two people to do that, you know, I'd let them do it with their rehabilitation assistant. And then I will come back as an OT and then find out what are the other things that I can do. And believe me, when it comes to occupational therapy and occupational engagement, an occupational therapist will not be lacking of things to do. There is grooming that you can do, sitting down. You can do cognitive retraining. You can do perceptual retraining. You can do sensory retraining. You can do dexterity retraining. While the person is on the bed or on the chair. So you can do lots of things. And for example, even if the person is, say, not uh, awake and they're still in critical care or they're uh, intubated, just look at the hands. Look, is there edema? Does the upper limb need passive stretching, for example, or passive range? You need to move those. It is passive stretch stretches, isn't it? So do you need to maintain those joint ranges as a preventative way or in, in, as a preventative intervention? So you can do that. And I don't need two people to do that. I can do that. I can go, we can go as occupational therapists, however and wherever we want to go. And that's the beauty of it. For example, a patient is, say, in the ward and still recovering, and they are heavy to move. Do they need joint working? For mobility, perhaps, but you can just be there as an occupational therapist and do the session at bedside. Is it justifiable to do it on the bedside? Yes. Because at that point of time, the physical abilities 
is limiting all the other high-level functioning tasks or highly, high, highly demanding functional tasks, the physically demanding ones. So you make do with what you have as occupational therapist. So if they're in bed, if they're a little bit upset, then start talking to them. Start working on the motivation. You know, talk about the values, the interests, the things that they like to do. And, uh, and that's another session for occupational therapy, well-being. So if you remember a person, if you go by the model of... Uh, uh, the model of human occupation by Gary Karl Hofner, you know, the the person has within them, there is this point called volition where it's values, interest, and personal causation. And that needed addressing. And you don't necessarily have to address those things while the person is walking. You know, a lot of these things can be done through talking therapy, you know, through motivational interviewing through supportive conversation. And this is where we are sitting alongside the uh, psychologists. And if you go by and regard, uh, say, change the model uh, from uh, model of human occupation to that of Canadian model of human occupation, Again, the spirituality. How do you tap into that spirituality? Yeah, You may have to just do it at a low level. Obviously, the use of activities is something that you can be doing as well. So use of crafts, use of purposeful activities, use of therapeutic activities. You can use that at bedside as well. You just have to be creative. Like the other day, I have a person who is in critical care and just recovering very slowly, and they can't do much. The person can't even communicate very well because the person has a uh, tracheostomy. But I need to be there. The person needed to see me. The person needed to see some, some, some presence or something that they're doing apart from watching the procedure that they're getting, which is, you know, at that time, you know, the person is getting some plasmapheresis. And it takes about three hours, I believe, or, or so, you know, to, to have that process done. So lots of beeping, lots of nurses, lots of procedures, lots of clamping on tubes and pipe and swapping and monitoring. But then that human connection is what's missing. And... Because she saw me as a therapist, she thought that we were going to be, that we will be doing some, some kind of, of general like sit, stand, walk things, exercise. You know? And then I introduced myself. Obviously, she knew me as an occupational therapist, but she doesn't know. We didn't have a lot of interventions yet. And I said to the person that, you know, the things that we're doing would be to enhance her engagement by doing little things, anything that we can do. And then I pull this thing out of my bag. Uh, I've got some clothes peg and a, uh, uh, a paper plate. And all I wanted is, I said, you know, I said to her, all I wanted is for you to just practice putting these pegs in there. And then she, she smiled because that's something that she felt that she can do. And it's easy enough. And there you go. That's the session. 
did I need to go there with another member of staff? No. Was there a joint working there? No. Okay. So I don't need to do joint working. You guys don't need to do joint working. If you are doing a joint working, just evaluate and review. Is it really essential? Is it beneficial? Is it something that can be avoided? Or are you doing the joint working because it's really required by the patient? Or are you doing the joint working because you're really not confident? Because if you're not confident with your clinical skills, then that's something that you can address and you can something that you can work with. If you're thinking you need a joint working because the person needed assistance of two for getting washed and dressed, then you have to step back and review and analyze whether doing a washing and dressing is suitable for that person. Is it too much? Is it too... Uh, is it highly demanding? Is it physically demanding for the person to do washing and dressing and showering at that point of time? It's, it's not beneficial, isn't it? For a person to have two people when they're needing to do washing and dressing, whereas if you'd wait for, a, uh, for some time, you know, if you wanted to wait for some time, then, um, then the person might, might improve. Just review your intervention. If your intervention is to do washing and dressing, uh, and the person can't do it, then perhaps you may have to step back and think about some of the enabling activities. You know, some of those parts that the person can do, little activities that the person may have to do, that will build up that skill. So if the person is not yet able to do it, what was the cost? Why can they not do showering? Is the balance impaired? Are they not confident yet? If the balance is impaired, then you can think about activities where the person can sit down and you can get them to do some reaching, um, cones, put it in different positions, do that. And then by doing that, you are then challenging the person to move away from the base of support and that you are working to improve their balance. Okay, guys, so that is my point of view regarding joint working. Uh, in terms of summary, I am very reluctant to be doing that and it is not avoidable. If you need to do it, that's fine. You can do it. Uh, but make sure that there is really a, an, a reason why it has to be done by two clinicians because uh, you need to be reflective as well because, you know, why is it really that you wanted to do joint session? Is it because it's really required by the patient or is it because your confidence is not strong enough? If it is not strong enough, then you just need to develop that skill of doing things with the patient. Okay, because the more you have some physical experience, the more you will improve your confidence. So again, if it is something that you don't need to pass on to the rehabilitation assistant, do it. Yeah. 
you know, some retraining, physical retraining, enabling activities, make time to do it before you pass it on to your assistant. Because what will happen is by, is by passing it on to your assistant, your assistants are developing and building up their skills and confidence and then in the end put them side by side along yourselves you know put stand along your rehabilitation assistant you will notice that most rehabilitation assistants who's been in the job for a long time has more and better skills than the therapists and we don't want that it's not that we don't want that we want the therapist to be skilled we want the therapist to have that appropriate clinical skills, you know, get paid for what they're worth. Right. Well, thank you so much for listening. Until next time. If you enjoyed this podcast, talk to your friends and colleagues about it. Like it, subscribe, share, and do what you can to appease whatever algorithm that is at play. I am but your humble clinician, albeit with years of experience, I have very little understanding of this digital world. So if you have any questions or if you have topics that you want me to talk about, drop me an email. It's riot.conversations at gmail.com. Just remember guys, anything you do matters and has an outcome. Until next time, bye!